Hello, and welcome to RPG PodQuest, the show that's not only about RPGs, but is an RPG. I'm today's host, Nick, and with me as always, the charming Evan. How are we, Evan? Well, charming is, I think, you're overselling me a little bit. Uh, I mean, I only have to deal with you for two hours a week, so I like to think you just put all the charm into that little bucket. I, I really do. I, I consolidate it all into that time, and I'm a, I'm a joyless, uh, very angry, spiteful person uh, otherwise. As you can tell Excellent. if you follow my Twitter account. Yeah, I, your Twitter is rather amusing, but, you know. <laughs> just us two again today. You know, we've um, obviously let, as we said last week, let Jeremy off into the into the wild. Yeah, he doesn't have any revives. He's been released. We tried resurrecting him at a at a church, but uh, alas, it did not did not come to be. Maybe in the future, but no. Well, uh, apologies as well. Today will be a a shorter episode rather than you know usual, but maybe some people will enjoy that. We'll we'll see how we go. Sure. Um, no no real news this week, Evan. I don't know if you spotted anything. I know we had the deluge last last week. But... We, we did, and I guess the only news would be rather unfortunate, which is that a lot of RPGs will be inaccessible in the near future, which I think is a shame. Yes. But, I mean, that's the way of digital marketplaces. Uh, if, if you want a little bit more uh, specifics, Nintendo announced uh, a closure in 2023, still a ways off, but a closure nonetheless of the 3DS and Wii U eShops. Keeping in mind as well, I think it's you can't put funds on your account past May 2022. That's right. Yes. yes. So it, it's the the inability to purchase more things is rapidly approaching. So did did you brush off a 3ds and a Wii U over the uh, over the course of the week? <laughs> no, no, I did not. I um I I certainly did. I brushed off both my 3ds's because I had a US one originally. I thought this is going to be the generation where I'm going to get a US console because the games always came out in the US first. But mm. of course, it was also about the first time Nintendo's had a console where everything got released here at the same time. So there was yeah, a, which no benefit to me. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I had that. I've got this drama. I loaded it up. I went through the store. There's a few things there I'd love to get, like, you know, Ever Oasis and stuff like that, but they're still full price. I know, like it's, yeah. It's not worth the hassle. I checked out the eShop. You know, I've, I've got Pokemon Red. I've got the trading card game. I've got Lufia 2. I'm sorted. Right, um, yeah. Lufia 2, is that the GBC game? Yes, yeah. So I did find okay. that the stores a bit hard to navigate, but I did. I basically, I just wanted to go have a quick look at the virtual console. But I will probably jump on the Wii U. I know there's definitely a, a hell of a lot of games on there that'd be worth, and especially I think probably some of the DS. Well, for me, it's probably some of the DS stuff. Getting for sure, that yeah. on the Wii U, I think, is where I want to. You know, Phantom Hourglass um, and a few other DS games. I think I'll probably throw a little bit of money at just to make sure I've got I've got copies of there. Because to play I those think, on the big screen, yeah. I think the Wii U has is the Nintendo console that has the most uh, Legend of Zelda games on yes, it, actually. Yes, I think it's got every Zelda game except, like, a cup. you know, obviously... Uh, not the Oracles, but I, it does have... Not the Oracles have... and not the Satellaview or versions or, of course, sure, the yeah. CDI <laughs> versions. But, you know, yeah, it's... But far and wide, and then you even think about it, you know, it's even got Breath of the Wild, and that's what makes it, it amazing. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I actually I I played the opening hours of Breath of the Wild on my Wii U. Oh, wow. um, but it, it it's it's funny that you should say uh, <laughs> that you broke out your two 3DSs because I certainly could break out my two Wii U's <laughs> to oh, take worry. a look at the. I, I I've got two as well, so we could we could oh, have really? a party. Yeah, well, I've got my when my stepfather passed away, um, uh, I'd got all of his stuff, so I've got his his Wii U there. I see. Yeah, he he did manage to play Breath of the Wild, so that's good. He had a copy of that on the Wii U. Wow, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I love the Wii U. I, I think obviously its its eShop is a little bit more easily uh, navigable. But um, I mean, the 3DS uh, I have very deep appreciation for as well. And I think it's a shame that a lot of the RPGs that are on there are going to be vanishing into the ether. So again, for any listeners who are out there, uh, Please do yourself a favor and get Crimson Shroud. This is the only way that you can do it, and it is too good to miss out on. Um, but that's really all the news that I think we we have to cover uh, this week. So, yeah. Nick, you've got some games that you would like yeah, to talk about. I um, 
two games, you know, it's kind of jumped into some new things this week. There was one we've talked about previously, which was Eglia Rebirth. I know we, we it, mentioned briefly Eglia, Eglia, I don't know. Is it really about eggs? It is. It is actually oh. about eggs. Um, it is about rebirthing eggs. So it's it's a mobile game. I, I forget the pedigree, Evan. It was one of the it's artists. Got some, I believe Mana? Am I... Yeah, I think it was the artists behind that. And hey, you know what? The strongest part of this game is the um <laughs> is the artwork and the aesthetics. That's what I was that's what I was afraid of. It, it's so basically the the premise is it's a bit like a a story of seasons if you remove the farming but you've got, you know, your city dynamic where you've got to sort of build up the city a little bit um and and work with the townsfolk. And what you're doing is then going out on bite-sized little quests that almost play like a mystery dungeon map. But if your mystery dungeon map, if we equated that to 500 squares, these are 30 to 40 squares. So you can effectively see the end of the map when you start, and there's maybe one or two bad guys in there. Um, They'll probably get more complex. You know, I'm still fairly early on. I probably won't go back to it, but... It, it looks like a nice little time sink because it is a mobile phone game. It's not too heavy. There's a lot of autoplay options, you know, but then, so you do these little dungeons, you collect resources, you go back to the town, you invest the resources into quests that the townsfolk have or building furniture to decorate your house. But then you've also got a couple of things there. There's like some farming elements where, you know, you've got to go and plant your seeds in the, uh, the big seed monster who consumes seeds. But of course, then there's a countdown timer on the seeds to hatch because it is a mobile phone game. So I've planted some rocks and, you know, there's, you know, 59 minutes. And then, of course, I can expend resource to speed that up. Being that early into the game, though, at this point, you know, there's no uh, other than fulfilling small town folk quests. There's not really any purpose to these elements. So I I doubt I'll ever get to the point where I'll realize what they are. But for what it's worth, it, it, it. if you took away some of the issues, and that's probably the load times, which it seems to want to load every squ- screen swap, and I don't know why, because it's really just loading the same assets. <laughs> it's not bad. Like, I I often have gripes with mobile phone games in the whole, you know, it would be nice to have all the DLC, or sorry, the, the paid crap that helps speed up the process or helps makes it a little more user-friendly. And given this is a paid package of a mobile phone game, it comes with all of those elements. So, right. and that's often if I do get into a mobile phone game, that's where I will put my money, you know, not into the, oh, I'm going to buy 20,000 crystals just so I can do all this shit. It's, all right, I'm going to buy these permanent multipliers, these permanent upgrades or these permanent, you know, ability to forge three items at once as opposed to one. The stuff that just sort of increases the gameplay and... You know that's where I'll stop, and I think that's where I I didn't mind spending the money here because it comes with all of that stuff packaged in. But a- again, at the end of the day, it's a mobile game. There, it's available out on Android and iOS. So if you are curious in any way, I'd say jump on it. It it's not awful. Like as far as mobile phone games, it's it's pleasant. There's a, a an interesting array of characters. You know, different species, and you know I've talked about before. I do like when you sort of making up you know an alien landscape and you know here are these different types of creatures here is the backstory of what this race is all that kind of stuff so there's a little bit of that going in there there's some interesting um creatures that have been defined some interesting world building i'll 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 jump back in for a little bit i think probably more because i'm not really sure what i'm playing at the moment and it's just a nice little (laughs) change of pace you know i think I, i burnt myself out the other week when i had pokemon and final fantasy 14 going at the same time and I um also managed to get myself hooked back on Civilization Six, so I having something a bit more bite size is is just quite refreshing at the moment. You know, I I think it's always there's a risk in these sorts of mobile ports, uh, in in pricing, right, and yes. how much that they are making available to you in terms of uh, unlocking, you know, certain resources and whatnot. You know, I've had to review a couple of mobile ports you know, to to the Switch for Switch RPG. And there have been a couple of games where I've said to myself, yeah, you know, 
if I were <laughs> if I were playing this as a mobile game and it was free, I'd probably enjoy this very much. But yep. then, you know, the full release is thirty dollars and yeah. This point, one, this like, one's I think twenty US, so it was about thirty five Australian, um, which you know it was a bit steep. But at the end of the day, I think you know all, all I could really see from it was the art style, and the art style did impress me. So I thought, well, I may as well jump in just see what there is here. I mean, I could have just also played the version I have downloaded onto my phone that I haven't opened yet. But you know, we've talked before. Often, just playing on a console is just a nicer. <laughs> Option. sure yeah yeah that's, it's very valid um so i'm glad to know more about this game but yeah that was something that w- when looking at promotional material for this i was like wow the art is nice i wonder and, and if everything I'm, else is i'm certainly enjoying the the bite-sized quest levels you know i've played some mystery dungeon games before and i often just get burnt out um, especially once you get past, you know, the opening couple of dungeons and you're having to just really explore some lengthy maps. Mm. And they're all, you know, of course, they're samey. They're, there's no, a lot of the time, there's no real, you know, nuance to the dungeons. It's just move around, um, up, down floors, you know, fight bad guys. And that's what it is. But I think because it is in smaller bite-sized chunks, it's, it is a little bit more accessible and it is a bit more relaxing. Hmm. Well, I mean, that's good to hear sometimes games should be relaxing (laughs) well i mean i guess i can talk a little bit about a game that i have been hiding in the shadows for the past uh, couple of weeks now would we describe this game as an evan game i i guess one might in fact uh, do so i mean i have previously said that i go for a i i enjoy a a sort of niche uh jrpg as as maybe someone who we may or may may not hear from in the future uh describe them as double a rather than triple a uh, rpg releases or maybe even single a uh jrpg <laughs> releases um but that's really that's that's the wheelhouse of Furio, um, and they kind of made a name for themselves on the PS Vita with games like these, also on the 3DS, and the Switch has been a place for these games to exist. Uh, the game in particular that I'm talking about, the re- review embargo has been lifted. Uh, you know, I can now speak a little bit about some of my impressions. This game is Monarch uh, and has uh, a few uh, SMT yep. Uh, creatives uh, who who have contributed to this product but it is very much in the it is safely in the furyu sort of realm of gameplay scope and scale so uh nick do you know much about monarch i i recall you know you you talked about the demo a couple of weeks ago and i think you i don't know if you remember at that time i sort of said i'd I downloaded the Japanese demo and had zero clue what I was doing because there's that whole survey opening. I I, I did have an inkling where your head might be heading, Evan, you know, that, you know, I, I knew this game would come regardless of uh, review copies or, you know, access to anything. This was going to be an Evan game. So I did download the demo um, in the last week and just jump on, you know, played sort of those opening scenes, uh, the, the opening battle through the survey, sort of exploring the school early on. Got got a bit of a vibe of the game. Um, that, you don't really have much view into where it heads, um, but certainly got that, you know, that Caligula vibe of where are we, if that makes sense. It's, you know, it's a very vague <laughs> yeah. question, but that's that's the mystery that's, that's that opens you up, is where are we and, and what is going on? Yeah, yes. Well... And and that's the thing is I think with Caligula, okay, there, I have a lot of thoughts to unpack about that game and Monarch's sort of position juxtaposed with that. Um, but what Caligula does is that it kind of gives you all of those bits and pieces right off the bat. Uh, is very straightforward in in telling you this is a virtual reality world where people have escaped to in order to live yeah. out their their greatest fantasies. This game also introduces its setting in a very straightforward sort of way, but it doesn't always it doesn't give away all of its mysteries right off the bat either. Um, but 
it is episodic in a way that is very similar to Caligula. So Caligula has uh, these sorts of boss enemies uh, who are, are known as, I believe, musicians. It's been a while since I've played the game, but they are yep. essentially the, the ringleaders of this VR world. And every time you kind of enter a new chapter, you're learning a little bit more about maybe one of your party members, as well as one of these uh, these musicians uh, themselves. And that's very much what's going on with Monarch too. Mm. I mean, each of the uh, sort of the the monarchs, <laughs> uh, the pact bearers uh, is what they're called, uh, represents one of the seven deadly sins, uh, which is a relatively, you know, it's it's a not a Japanese concept, right? So it is a, yeah. in, in, a, in a very sort of similar way to SMT, uh, there is some co-opting of other philosophies being utilized in this game. Oh, and... so f- fascinating because it is a motif that comes up in my quest game. So there we okay. go. Yeah. Well, I'm very, very curious to talk about that then. Um, but the way that it is depicted in this game is that these sins can manifest in negative ways in people, right? Uh, now, for some reason, uh, you are the pact bearer of vanity, uh, which is not, you know, it's not one of the seven deadly sins, <laughs> um, but and and it also doesn't always align with uh, what your your personality test can result in. Actually, the funny thing is, both times that I have done the personality tests, um, I've gotten sloth, and I've had very uh, varying sorts of answers uh, for for some of the cues that have come up or for yeah. some of the the questions. Uh, and what that does is it gives you a sort of assist character known. Well, uh, I'm not really, I'm not sure if this is uh, official terminology, but the way I think of it is these these sorts of uh, personality less uh, manifestations of your uh, power are these kinds of pawns, and you can equip them in different ways. You can put different uh, pieces of leg and head and chest armor onto them and utilize them in your uh, combat which is uh, i guess you would say i don't know it's tough to say that the combat in this game is the meat and potatoes of it uh because really there are there are no random encounters in so i i'm curious to know and so talk me through how does the combat evolve because i was you know in the demo i really only got to sort of experience that opening battle it was it was fairly straightforward you know you've got your circle based battleground which you can move around and move closer to the enemies you know within the move constraints of your turn and then sort of attack them um in a in a in a turn based ish way how how does that sort of evolve like what mechanics are they adding as the game goes on well, so there <laughs> that's a great question. Uh I think that one of the the things that Furyu tends to struggle with in regards to a lot of their game design is that they come up with a really neat idea and they often fail to iterate on it all that much. Um a lot of what you see in the demo of Monarch is what you're going to get for the majority of the game. Things Curveballs will be tossed at you in terms of what characters you can bring into battles. You know, as you are progressing through the story, you will lose access to certain party members and gain access to others. As you defeat other pact bearers in the school uh, that you are attending and kind of trapped in, you will gain their pawn uh, units, so to speak. And just because you have a pawn unit doesn't necessarily mean you have all of the skills that that pact bearer had um so there's the the thing that that surprises me about this is that i would really say that monarch is a strategy game uh, yeah. first and foremost and the maps are sometimes very straightforward but they're not always um one of the pact bearer maps is a very winding uh, sort of um battle floor and again i I think one of the the negative points uh, of the the battles is that the environments aren't always uh, very visually striking Um, they they tend to look very samey but they do start to throw in elements like um, 
map hazards, right? Where you will, you know, try to walk forward uh, to a certain point and you'll find that you're overlapping with either like a heel circle or maybe even some sort of mine or something like that. You know, things get a lot more complex with the madness and uh, in in enlightened, well, uh, madness and awakening systems uh, you can kind of do one or the other separately but you can also combine them to do something called enlightenment and making sure that you can get your units to that place often requires well that that is where the strategy comes from and I mean, I wish I could say that there's more complex stuff happening in this game than than just what what you see in the demo, but they really do introduce most of the elements uh, of this game right off the bat. Yeah. And on one hand, I, I think that's a little bit disappointing for somebody who's playing through the entire experience. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I this this is going to come up in my quest as well, but a lot of these games are reliant on a mechanic or, you know, something that differentiates them because with regards to, you know, they're, they're, they're all, a lot of them are from the same formula. Yes. You know, but it's, it's the, what's the story beat that makes this difference and what is the impact of that story beat on how the game plays? And, and that's, you know, that, that's really where they define themselves because a lot of the time it is, you know, same beat of explore the dungeon, go back to the world, explore the dungeon, go back to the, you know, that kind of just back and forth. So you, you've almost got to spice it up somewhere. You do. <laughs> and, and I think I, you know, looking at it, I just had a quick look on how long to beat.com and it's, you know, 80 odd hours. And, you know, we've spoke about before, I, I do enjoy these types of games and, and having been a long time Nintendo platform owner, it's not a genre I've really had access to a lot of the time so it's it's i'm starting to become a bit burnt out because (laughs) you know it's it's like wow this was what is this i've never seen anything like this but now it's like okay now i've seen 25 games a bit like this but you know i still think there's there's definitely room there for for doing something or, or you know coming up with something that's really quite unique and whether it's just because they sort of follow in the framework of, you know, the big hitters, your Shin Megami, Persona, and, and a few others, um, to let those shape, you know, where to take this subgenre. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just kind of kind of waffling to, you know, to work out where my thoughts are. But I sure there's probably the subtle differences there that I, I don't know, Evan, if that's what makes them, you know, for you. Because obviously you play a lot of these games and I'm curious to know how, how do you really differentiate themselves with yourself? You know, what what's the bit that stands out or what is it just the subtle differences that you appreciate? Well, that's a great question because I find myself enjoying parts of Monarch a whole lot more than a lot of the experience uh, playing Caligula. Yeah. And I, I think Monarch learned some lessons from Caligula that needed to be learned um, in, in just for one, I think that the the foundations of Monarch's combat system are better, just better than Caligula. And so that's that's what's enjoyable. And sometimes kind of the process of seeing a game and thinking to yourself, oh, wow, this could be even better if another game were to iterate or improve on it. Um, that's that's where a lot of Furio's yeah. stuff tends to fall. Um, but I also... I mean, I I won't mince words. I think the I, the the idea of burnout for for these sorts of games in particular is is a huge problem. And for for RPG players, we need to either love what's going on in a game to stick through maybe some of the more tedious parts, um, or I mean, you've got so much variety out there, right? You've got so many high quality products out there. Sometimes it it's best to just kind of uh, wash your hands of it and move on to to another product. And so, yeah, what I what I think I, I I as I mentioned with Poison Control, that was a game that I very much enjoyed, but it was also a very brisk experience. It wasn't overly long; it didn't overstay its welcome, and that's what I really like about 
this style of game is when they know how long they have with a concept um, or they know how much time that they can invest into a concept before kind of saying it's done and dusted. And Monarch, uh, in some respects, fails to do that. Um, So I I like these games and I like them because they are quirky. They are off-brand. And that is almost some of the, the appeal of them is just kind of seeing okay, how do they take these concepts and ideas that have been established by their contemporaries and do a, a proper twist on them? It really does yep. depend on whether or not they stick the landing. Yeah, um, and I can appreciate that. And I guess for me, you know, as sort of coming outside in on this this subgenre, um, I haven't, you know, I haven't probably played enough to then recognize those little nuances and differences. I... And I, I've played a few, but I tend to get burnt out probably somewhere around the 20 to 30 hour mark. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of that time there, it can just be that the story hasn't captivated me. Um, and, you know, the mechanics themselves have become pretty rinse and repeat by that point. Um, but I'm sure, I'm sure there are some out there that will, you know, grab and me. Sometimes, and sometimes, it's, sometimes you need to rely on the, the opinions of an individual like me who will... Uh, spend the time so that you don't have to exactly for uh for lack of a better phrase um but yeah so monarch i will probably give some final thoughts on it yeah um maybe in another episode but what i will say is there are some really good ideas here that i think could be improved upon uh, to make a much better game and there are times too where this game is balancing Mm. it's its mechanics pretty well i actually do like how its dungeons uh are are counterbalanced with battles early on but that doesn't tend to be the case as time goes on and i think at that point i feel like the developers are kind of running out of steam themselves yeah but that's um, all i'm gonna say about that. No, that that's good and you know i think if we weren't where we are at the moment with you know a deluge of rpgs coming out of various different genres and styles i would be one I'd pick up, but you know, there's quite a lot on the horizon that I think is definitely in my wheelhouse. So I, I almost don't want to burn myself out at the moment. Yeah, most definitely. I get that. Um, so Nick, have you been playing anything else that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, well, I thought, you know, someone has to step up and think about the strategy RPGs now. You know, the, the proper nah, tells called turn based. We don't yeah. need, we don't really need to talk about them. It's, it's okay. <laughs> so I, I decided, I, you know what, I, for the sake of the listeners, Evan, this is the sole reason I've downloaded the Triangle Strategy demo. You're, you're too kind. I know. Yeah, it's, it's one of those games. In all regards, it looks like Octopath Traveler. It stories like Fire Emblem Three Houses. It plays like that. It's not a bad game. It's just, you know, it's not a genre I get into, but it is nice to see the 2D HD. But, you know, I shared my gripes last week. I I want to see it in a different environment. And that's why I'm looking forward to Live Alive or Live a Live or Live Alive, Live a Live. Because you we're getting to see that, you know, that engine in in the in the sci-fi world, the the Western world, all that kind of stuff. Um so this, yeah, very similarly to Octopath with regards to, um, from what I saw, just that medieval style. Well, the story, sorry, go on. I think it's kind of a shame too. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not entirely Mm. certain if I, if I'm in the right here, but at least Octopath had like those boss battles where you saw like bigger sprites. This game doesn't really have that. I've had very limited battles. I'm probably only like, you know, two hours in so far. Okay. Um, it's a demo. I'm like, I, actually, I've, I've got some notes here about demos, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But you know, it's it's charming. It's 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 that's what it is. It's charming. If if you're into strategy um, RPGs, I definitely think you want to give it a go. It it does carry that three houses sort of vibe of you know story beats, world explore beats, battle beats. You know, you've got that sort of that you know. There's the triangle strategy, Evan. You've got those three three components that um, work together. The battles from what I could see, again, didn't have a lot, but there wasn't anything stand out. But, you know, from what I saw from the opening battle, it was pretty solid. So 
I'm hoping, you know, Octopath Traveler had sort of some really interesting battle mechanics. Um, or your different characters had the ability to handle differently, you know, especially someone like the Hunter who could capture the enemies and sort of utilize those in the battle. So I am hoping that as the game goes on, there'll be that kind of stuff there. But yeah, I just thought, you know, I was having a look and it was a, I, I assumed it might've been another, you know, demo for review so that they could get some feedback, but it's certainly a demo that will carry over to the final version. So I mm. thought no, no harm in jumping in and having a play. Other than that, you know, I just really kind of just wanted to touch on briefly about for me, how it sits with regards to other demos because it's it's an interesting place with the Switch. You are getting quite a lot of RPG demos, which, you know, harkens back to the old demo disc days. But specifically, Octopath Traveler demo, which I absolutely burnt, you know, burnt through. Like, I remember deleting that demo and going back and playing every character class I could. <laughs> to the point where, you know, when the game came out, because you could only carry over one save, and in the demo I think you could only play, like, two opening stories, I'd played all the opening stories but then had to play them all again. And then the other one being Dragon Quest XI, which I did. Did you ever play the demo for Dragon Quest XI? Or did you just hold yourself out for Dragon Quest XI? I assume you've played Dragon Quest XI, Evan. You said Dragon Quest XI a whole lot of times in that sentence, which yes. is strange because it's a game that I have absolutely no familiarity with. Oh, well, no, honestly... I did the, not play the demo. The, I did demo not play. the demo is a great insight into the game and you get about nine to 10 hours of gameplay out of that demo. And so I've heard, yeah, I'd never really played a Dragon Quest game in that, you know, it's, it's what I wanted the Trials of Mana remake to be. Like it, it was an old school JRPG brought back into, you know, a modern take on it. It's, you know, the same sort of, you know, simplistic vibes, but expanded all the quality of life, all the story, you know, there's just more there, but you know, that's, that's another day. But um, yeah, I think the triangle strategy. You know, if you have any any enjoyment for you know Fire Emblem, even the the art style of Octopath or the writing, you know, it, it's definitely worth jumping in and just having a look at the demo. There's no no harm there, unless of course oh. you don't have the time. Then don't do that. That's silly. Oh, okay. Yeah. What what about <laughs> it? Any anything else you've been dabbling in, or Monarch's been been chewing up the majority of your time? As I said, I've had a pretty busy week, so yeah. Monarch has been my my key uh, area of of attention. I will have again some other stuff uh, on the horizon in the near future yeah. uh, worth talking about. Uh, something that might surprise some people to to, to hear me covering, but um, yeah, I guess a, a, just a quick question. I was thinking about it this morning. It's not not something we often ask, but you know, is there anything? that probably won't be touched on in this podcast that you're just, you know, looking at playing in the next week. I'm just, you know, what, is there anything just bubbling behind the surface that? Well, I've already talked about Picross way more than I need to. Uh, <laughs> I did I will find say... on my 3DS, I had the Pokemon and Zelda Picross installed. So all is well. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm honestly kind of eyeing, I know there's a Picross 3D on 3DS, which okay is pretty appealing to me. I'm on my final page of, of Picross for the uh, Sega Genesis. Oh, very uh, nice. I guess Ma Master System. I yeah, think. yeah, very I'm nice. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm on my last page of that. And I I don't know, a part of me, I mean, I've already sunk enough time into that one game that I'm kind of like, do I need more of this in my life? H have you played much of the actual standard Picross ones, like the Picross S 1 through 7? No, I have not. Okay. They they can be a very just nice relaxing tool, you know, just something to to jump on for twenty minutes when you've had a busy day, like well, rather I mean, rather than powering through it as you seem to have done. I, I guess I, I don't know. I, I maybe I have powered through it, um, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that the the Sega one has been has not been calming. I just think that as I've gotten into the later uh, puzzles they demand more of your attention or yeah. there's there is a concept there are concepts that are introduced in the later sort of pages of 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 Picross that are unspoken and i think they do a really good job of like subtly teaching you some mechanics early on but they don't always do a great job of like kind of showing yeah, okay. you hey this is what we're focusing on yeah and so like at at the end of the day if i want to relax and play like play a game Sometimes Picross is a little bit too 
uh, mentally taxing yep, for me. Yeah, if you don't want to turn the brain on, yeah. No, I get that. Well, um, uh, yeah, that's good. I just thought <laughs> I'd ask because I, I personally just was curious this morning. So I just thought, yeah. For me, there's not a lot. I think there's, um, Puzzle and Dragons is coming out on the Switch. Right, um, in yeah. a day. I, I really enjoyed the, the 3DS one, so I think I'll, I'll jump on that. It's only about $7 Australian, so about $4 US. You know, I, I did... I, I sunk a lot of time into the Puzzles and Dragons Z Super Mario Brothers yep. uh, 3DS game, and I remember like loving that game for a period of time. Um, but I'm pretty sure I could just go back to that and probably yeah. play that if, if I. Really I think for me, it's just a matter of I'm not used to using the 3DS, but I've like I've got them out now and charged and set up, so maybe I will just start <laughs> having a go. But I digress, yeah. Evan. We should um move on to our quests, if you say so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, would you like to go first this week? Sure. I think I think I can pretty succinctly uh, sum up my thoughts about this quest. My quest uh, this week is an RPG that deserves a sequel, and I think there are so many games that I would love to have a sequel for. Obviously, there's one that I've mentioned uh, earlier on this uh, podcast that I think everyone should play. I do think Crimson Shroud deserves a sequel, especially if it's no longer going to be accessible um, on the 3DS eShop. It's a game that has uh, such great systems uh, in it. Um, But that's actually not the game that I'm going to focus on today because I've mentioned it several times on this podcast before. I think it's better for me to talk about something. I was say, on a personal yeah. note, that's what I ch- I struggle with the um the quest sometimes because you know you find you've got the perfect response, but it's like this is a game I bring up all the time, or this is a game I like to reference back to just in the conversation. I can't I can't fall back on it. Right, I'm not a one trick pony for sure, <laughs> and I think this game is. The game that I'm going to talk about is something that I feel extremely strongly about and I've written about a great deal. Uh, And it's a game that I know my feelings towards it are a bit bittersweet because I know it can kind of never get a sequel because the people who worked on it are getting older and uh, are not really they don't have the access to resources that they had when they were making this game. I think that's a shame because uh, we'll never see another game like this. But I do think that someone brave enough could perhaps take what the, the design philosophy behind this game and, uh, and, and maybe make a spiritual sequel uh, to it in some ways. Um, And so I don't want to (laughs) waste any more time getting into it. Uh, I want to talk about the last story today. The Last Story is one of my favorite RPGs I've ever played, uh, and it's it's one that I, I feel very strongly about, especially because it is one of the Operation Rainfall trio that really kind of helped me solidify that this was a genre that I really wanted to talk about and invest time into. Uh, and when you're going up against a game like Xenoblade Chronicles, uh, that's a bit daunting. Uh, and so having played this after uh, Xenoblade Chronicles, I was... My expectations were in check, but the fact that I ended up loving this game even more than that should say a whole lot about it. So, Nick, have you played The Last Story? Uh, no, I have not. I So at the time when it came out, yeah, I, I played Xenoblade. I've played a bit of Pandora's Tower, but Last Story was the one of the sort of three games that I didn't get a chance to look into. I I want to say... Which one came to the Wii U Virtual Console? It was Pandora's Tower did, didn't it? it did the did, last yes. story also come out? Oh, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> I don't believe... I no, believe I don't it think did, it no. did. Just having a quick look. So, no, I definitely have not. Because I, I know when the Wii U sort of was pumping out some of the old Wii games, I was I was making sure to buy a few of the ones that, that had missed my boat. But, no, I think uh, by the end of the Wii, I was pretty much done. You know, I wasn't... <laughs> I wasn't really playing games on it at that point. So it's it's just a, it is a, you know, it's, it's, it's typical Nintendo console. You know, you just get a lot of RPGs that do tend to come out at the tail end. You know, we mentioned before yeah. briefly, like something like Beyond Oasis on the 3DS. And I think there were a few other 
Etrian Odyssey came out on the three. No, there was a version of that on the three DS. I I always tend to miss out on those games, and I always regret it a little bit later. But when you think to go back in ten years' time, it's just like ah, oh, there's other things now. Well, with this one, I I think it really is a shame because it hasn't seen a re-release on anything, mm. um, and it's it's so great and. <laughs> You, if you read up on the last story, you'll hear um, Hironobu Sakaguchi, the director uh, of the game, who has a very storied history, uh, talk a lot about some of his uh, previous failures. And I don't necessarily want to say failures, but he kind of re-examined uh, some of the games that he had released uh with Mistwalker um, for Xbox, for other platforms, yep. and, and you know, had a moment of introspection, and he said to himself, I've been doing things uh, in this genre, because again, Sakaguchi, if you're not entirely in the know, is really a powerhouse in terms of RPGs in particular, was a director, creative um, influence on a lot of the Final Fantasies, really up until, I would say, 9 or 10. And I think 10 might have been the first one where he didn't have a sort of major role, but uh, I, d I don't want to be, uh, well. Yeah, which is funny because for feel me, free this to fact is, check me. yeah, no, this is, it's funny. I, um, so I started to really get into the Xbox 360. So games like Blue Dragon and Lost Odyssey, you know, I certainly dabbled in, but yeah, the last story I didn't even, you know, some of the, the DS spinoffs of Blue Dragon and whatnot. Right. But yeah, so and that's, yeah. And so really what he talked about was making a lot of those games uh, with the mentality that he had made earlier Final Fantasies with, rather than trying to tell a sort of very similar kind of Final Fantasy story, but really shake things up in terms of mechanics. And it's so funny to me that this game is developed and released really around the same time as Final Fantasy XIII. And does a lot of similar things to Final Fantasy XIII. Mm. It, it does have a more linear uh, sort of storyline. It does have, I, I guess you could say, a little bit more claustrophobic environments. Although it is a little bit more open-ended uh, than than thirteen is. It has a, a major sort of cinematic flair to it. Uh, and the perspective is a little bit more grounded. But there are so many great ideas in this game. And... The fact that this game had such a great combat system that it had online multiplayer, um, player versus player, and also player versus enemy, uh, is really impressive. Okay. And again, I think it's a shame that we're, we haven't seen this game return in some capacity because I'd love to play that stuff again. But really, you know, Sakaguchi, and you know, he also brought in uh, Uematsu, who is a huge, you know, uh, name in Final Fantasy. What they did with this game was they they took the conventions of a series that they were well known for and turned them on their head and made a game that is still very Final Fantasy. I mean, let's face it, the name is Final Fantasy <laughs> without actually saying those words. Uh, yeah. But yep. it's it's so unique. It's so full of heart and charm and... I know that uh, you know Uematsu has not been in good health lately. Has talked about you know some titles being his last project that he that he'll ever be working on, and you know Mistwalker is a, a shadow of its former self as well. So I don't see the last story ever being able to be sequelized. But I yeah. do hope that somebody takes this idea of okay, well we've been doing this in the same way for a while now. Why not turn it on its head a little bit? It actually goes back to, again, those double-A RPGs that I was talking about earlier with Monarch. They do something different from the sort of standard formula in a way that uh, that just kind of makes me fall in love with the genre all over again. I love The Last Story. I could talk about so many different parts of it that are amazing. Yeah. Um, I I think no, it's well, that's, worth, that's re it's really nice. And I think the quests like this are the great one, you know, to give you a chance to just talk about something that's just lost if you were <laughs> right and yeah but uh, you know should we should we move on then i um we should i i too will be talking about one of these a or i might say a b level 
um, you know, JRPG spin-offs. So my quest, let's pull up the old quest board, was an RPG that is all gimmick and no polish. And I think this is why I was sort of questioning you a bit before about the battle mechanics and sort of what what separated Monarch from Games of its Ilk. Because I, coincidentally, the first game I ever played that was of this style, you know, a, a I don't know, we just call it a, I'm just going to go with a Shin, Maka- Shin Megami-like. You know, that sort of that sort of style of game was on the 3DS and it was a game and I really don't want to have to talk about this game and no one should ever play this game or look it up because it's a horrible game and the themes in the game are horrible and I do not condone anyone playing this game. The game is Conception 2. <laughs> so I, I don't you know, know if it's, fo- it's It's so funny because like really when I was thinking about Caligula, when I was thinking about Monarch, when I'm thinking about like, oh, you know, walking down hallways yep. and customizing characters and having really overwrought dialogue, this game came to mind. It's, so it's a, uh, I you know, it's and this is part of why I was pulling out my 3ds this week because I'm like, this has been so long since I've played this game. I need to actually jump back in and understand: is everything as standard as I remember? And I, I, my save loads up into a dungeon. I'm walking around the old square grid dungeon style of, you know, older Persona games. The enemies on screen are just the blobs, you know, the faceless blobs with no description until you jump into the battle. Uh, you get out of the battle, you've got your standard world, you know, you can't even walk around in this world. It's because it's the 3DS, you know, you've got click on this icon to go to the store, go here to go to the gym, here to go and receive quests. Nothing about that is special, but <laughs> what it does is the the party building and, and the actual character building within the game to create your team is just intense. That's so, a good way to put it. Yeah, and, and I won't go into how or why because I don't think we need to, but effectively, you know, the game is you are, uh, you know, forming, you, you are the hero that needs to save the world. Shock horror. And in order to do this, you need to create children to combat with you in the battles. Now, to do this, you've got effectively, there's nine characters in the story mode that you can, you know, befriend, you talk, you go on quests, you gift them things, similar to a persona, but very light. You know, it's it's purely text-based with a couple of little cutscenes here and there. No, no real voice acting other than, you know, your sentence might be, hi, how are you going? Is everything going okay? But all the character will just say is hi, you know, so you just get that sort of opening word every time, which really drives me insane. Sometimes I'd rather they just don't provide any voice acting. Sure. But yeah, so you you build up the relationship or the bonds with these these nine characters. And from there, you go on what they call classmate with them, which is basically just making babies. Now, when you make a baby, you these kids become your battle party. Effectively, you're breeding like Pokemon. There are 30 different classes, and I found that the range of classes that you can create for your characters fascinating. You know, you've got standard things like, you know, clerics, um, barbarians, things like that. But then you get into things and you've just got weird classes. Like I've pulled up the list here. You've got things like, you know, a gunslinger, a, a magic knight, a, a minstrel, a, a ninja, um, a trickster, a warlock. You know, there were some funner ones here. A magic knight, I think I might have said a grappler, a gun saint, a gambler, an ether sniper. sniper. So there's just a real combination of the character classes you can build. And you're already thinking, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, imagine a, a Final Fantasy in which you can have 30 different, you know, proper different styles of classes that you can introduce into your party of four. And Evan, you're going, but Nick, you don't just have a party of four. And I'm like, no, you don't, Evan. You have a party of 11. So effectively what you do, you go into, when you enter your dungeons, you take in yourself, your, your main character, who will have his own attacks and skills. You take in your partner of choice of the nine characters that you've been leveling up outside in the story world. They will have their own. And you two act as one cohesive unit. So, you know, the health is the combined stats of both of those individuals. The abilities and skills are the combined stats and abilities of those two individuals. And then what you also bring in with you are three sets of three kids. So 
you could be running around with, you know, a combination of a healer, a sniper, and a, a barbarian working together because that might give you a nice skill set with regards to some heals, with regards to some long range, you know, distance, or with some tanking. But then you've got, yeah, three sets of those. So you start to really build up some interesting combinations of character classes. And it, it's not really something that I, I've seen and I often gripe with JRPGs about the limitations of party sizes. And, you know, the, there's not a lot of character to the kids, if it will. You know, you're, you're effectively churning them out. You know, you level them up. The, the better your relationship outside of um, the dungeons with your nine classmates, the, the better the, the child spawns will have with regards to highest level of available st stats. So you're kind of churning them out and replacing them. But as that goes on, you're unlocking more character classes. You're unlocking different styles in which you can battle. And I think when I went and played it originally, that was really what kept me going in this game was unlocking the different character classes and being able to intermingle those character classes together to make my own combination of character type. And, and that, that's really its strongest suit. I think that is the only thing going for this game. But it does it very well. And that is why, for me, this is a game that is all gimmick. And at the time, you know, you can imagine, Evan, I've never played a, a Shin Megami-like. You know, I'd never played a Monarch. I'd never played a Caligula. So the concept of these dungeons and everything there was quite fascinating to me. But stepping back at it now, having played a, a lot more of these types of games, I can see, you know, everything there was fairly standard. There was, you know, it was fairly run-of-the-mill. I mean, I don't yeah. know where the, the scene was at 2013. You know, I don't know what was pushing the boundaries at the time. But from a battle perspective, I've never really seen anything hit with this much flexibility um, since since this game. Yeah. Uh, well, that that you pretty much you summed up conception rather well. And this was on the 3DS, so this is actually conception two. Correct, yes. Uh, which means that there was a first version of Conception, uh, which I think we mercifully, uh, as 3DS players, uh, those who did not have a PS Vita, uh, lucked out because I'm fairly certain that Conception 2 is the is a improved version uh, of the systems that were present in the first game. Yeah, it's a game. And I think... If your marketing is very much about you doing the thing, the gimmick of the game... Oh, and, and that's the thing. And the whole premise of the game is, is, is woeful. And that's what I'm saying. It's not <laughs> worth. But I would love to see the complexity of this character building and, you know, even say something in a Pokemon game, you know, the ability to, you know, at the moment you hatch eggs and blah, but to have that flexibility of sort of cross-pollinate, you know, character types and... and you know, attack sets, that kind of stuff would be absolutely fascinating. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, and I think you, you've you hit it, you've hit the nail on the head with Conception 2. It is very gimmicky. Um, it is, but... and I, yeah, I really couldn't think of anything better because it was, like I said, I think if I'd picked this up now, like I looked at my save file, I was, you know, about 35 hours in, so a good chunk of it. If I'd picked this up now, I would have just been like, what is this? This is just a cheap knockoff of a genre that has been done so much better. Yeah, and I, I think you, again, are very right to say that this game isn't doing things much better or much differently from its contemporaries. Or even just, you know, again, you, you talk so much about the Persona-esque elements of this game. It's... It, it, that's really what it's doing is it's saying hey we're persona but you can make babies exactly right but yes so no one should subject themselves to playing it but just know that there is a great battle mechanic there that hopefully that level of complexity and and you know the character classes is something that you know if anyone knows of any other jrpgs that sort of head in that direction and provide that flexibility with regards to battle team creation. I'd, I'd love to know because I, I really do enjoy that element of the game. Well, I think I can maybe help you out with that. Please do. But uh, that'll be, that'll be a conversation for another time. Is that all you've got to say about your quest, sir? That is all. 
the gimmick is the only part worth talking about. Yeah, that's too bad. Um, because it's not necessarily... It's not always podcast-friendly. But uh, with that out of the way, I guess we'll move into our roles. So let's give this a whirl. Last time I was at number 45. So I'm going to roll and see what I might end up with. Or perhaps, well, I have not... I guess I could steal from you, but we'll see if that's a, that is a, that is something that will happen. So I'm gonna go ahead and roll. Uh, and again, I feel like something's something's going on with this. Uh, yeah, you need a my... new dice. So would you get a five, a six? I got a six again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, rigged. It's it's, uh, <laughs> it's a little it's a little scary. Uh, but my quest shall be, at least as of right now, a great town. I I don't mind RPG. that as a quest. That is a that is a healthy quest. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's that's a pretty good one. So I'm looking forward to seeing. Well, not just seeing, but talking about that. Nick, where were uh, you at? I am on thirty-seven. I've just seen what the enemy encounter at forty is, and I'm quite intrigued by that. So I think I might be stopping if I get the number. So I will roll. Oh, lost my dice, and I've rolled a six. Which Alrighty. one, two, three, four, five, six would put me at the best slash a great final dungeon in an RPG. But I think I am going to stop myself on spot 40, which is play an RPG maker or a fan made game. Okay. Which I think I'm, is something I've been really... thinking about doing for a while. You know, I've, I've dabbled in RPG maker. I just haven't sat down and gone well where are the good ones you know who's making what should I, what should i be looking for so i might do a bit of research find out yeah sure also yeah. you could uh, you could download the rpg uh, maker player on switch and yes i i think codes. i might already have that downloaded somewhere and yeah that'll Very be interesting cool. Well, I don't think I want to steal anything from you. Uh, no, and I'm, I'm not going to make you find a great town from an rpg or fan made fan made game yeah, I think that'd be a little mean. Uh, so I guess that will that will send us right into our plugs. Uh, so you can find us, of course, at RPG PodQuest on Twitter. Uh, and feel free to send us an email if you have any questions or qualms or really anything you've got to say uh, to us. Um, even quest ideas you can send to RPGPodQuest at Gmail. Well, that, that's the thing, you know, we're nearing the end of this quest board and it would be, if anyone does have anything, no matter, it, you know, it might be something we've already got on the board. If you've got any thoughts, definitely love to hear them because it would be good to really shake up um, some of the quests. Oh, definitely. Yeah. We want to make this, we want to make this experience even longer for us to get through. And, you know, I personally, I don't mind, you know, if there's any challenges you want to throw in there, you know, that kind of stuff. It's, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Boss uh, or enemy encounters too yeah. would be very much appreciated. But yes, so you can send us emails at rpgpodquest at gmail.com. We're all over the place. Spotify, Apple, Google, other places too. Nick, where can they find you tweeting about Wordles? No, I haven't been tweeting a lot about Wordles, but they can find me at rpgnick with two eyes. I, um, you can enjoy the fact that I almost 100%ed Lego City Undercover, but thanks to a glitch, I am now stuck at 99.9%. I did see that. That was yeah, very unfortunate. that really hurt. We stopped and started the game about four or five times just to try and get it to work and then kind of just were defeated. And, uh, Yikes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where can they find you, Evan? <laughs> they can find me at RPGSEB. And also I will say I have now upgraded or I, I, I guess not upgraded, but I have progressed even further beyond normal Wordle and now, I am now playing Quartal which is solving four wordles simultaneously. Yes, yes, I've dabbled in this. Did you um did you manage to have a chance to look at the Pokemon wordle link I said? I know you? I know it exists. Yes. But um, I have not played any of Squirtle yet. There's there's a challenge for the listeners to play yes, some definitely. Squirtle. Yeah. Um, but right. that's where we are and Nick as always it is a pleasure. I'm looking forward to what you are going to get into next week. Likewise. Maybe some other some other surprises too right exactly well no i look forward to it and evan until then fare thee well fare thee well and ta-ta to you all
that's not going to be the call sign for no, the future. No, it will be. It will be. No, please. Uh, bye, everybody.